I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep on a particular topic, and today we look again at the world of Bible translation, today with Andrew Case. Specifically, Andrew helps us understand the world of open sourcing of Bible translation materials and the potential that open sourcing has to revolutionize Bible translation in the world today. Before we begin, though, a bit of context. Many Christians do not know that a lot of the Bible translations that we use in the world today are copyrighted, and that when we purchase a Bible or even print a Bible for ministry purposes, the copyright owner gets a payment. Many of the foundational Bible translation tools that we use to translate Bibles are also copyrighted. These copyrights sometimes have a stifling effect on new Bible translations getting produced. But there is a growing movement to open source Bible translations and Bible translation tools and study guides. For example, Biblica, formerly known as the International Bible Society, and the owner of the New International Version of the Bible, has taken steps to make some of its material free and available to all, and they are hoping to eventually, once they get some legal issues unwound, make even the New International Version of the Bible copyright available as well. Now, the secular world has been moving in this direction for years. Creative Commons, for example, is used by both creators and users of creative material. Linux, the software language, has been open-sourced for decades, and many business applications have been built on the open-sourced Linux platform. But the Christian world has been slow to embrace open sourcing. Andrew Case, though, is an advocate for open sourcing in the Bible translation world. He's a Bible translation consultant himself and the host of the Working for the Word podcast. And by the way, that's a podcast that I have found enormously interesting and valuable as I've attempted to sort out some of the issues related to Bible translation. If you love the Bible, even if you're not an expert in Bible translation, I really recommend this thoughtful, interesting, informative podcast to you. Andrew has a Master of Divinity degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He and his wife Bethany live in Mexico, where he continues his Bible translation work and where he was when we had this conversation. Well, Andrew, I the reason I wanted to chat with you, and I really appreciate you taking a few minutes, is just uh, um, talk, uh, I think, mostly about open translation um, or open sourcing and why um, why it's significant, why most of the Bible translation organizations are not, I, I'm assuming, I'm thinking, that's my understanding, is that they are not using open sourcing right now, and that... Um, 
from where I sit as someone who's covered the Bible translation industry for a while, it seems to me that there are just a tremendous number of inefficiencies in that system. And this just seems to be one of them. The fact that, you know, a lot of Bible translation organizations are having to pay other Bible translation organizations uh, for copyrighted translations so that they can, you know, u- use those as sort of, of um, you know, kind of base language um translation. So, uh, you know, am I, am I getting this right? I mean, am I understanding the problem? Fill me in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I I guess I should ask first, have you read any of my stuff on the subject yet or been able to listen to the podcast? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, And have you been able to read Tim Jory's paper, white paper on that? I did. Yes. You've got, you've got a pretty thorough background already. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I, Part of so my my big thing is, yeah, I I don't think most people in this sphere are malicious. They're just stuck in a rut. You know, they they don't even know that they haven't even thought about it. You know, that's just honestly what, where most people are coming from. I think that's one of the big the big reasons. Like that folder has not been opened in their minds. It doesn't exist. That that kind of way of thinking. And so I think that's part of it. And, uh, you know, that comes from, I think, the American mindset. You know, we're steeped in a materialistic world in America where, like, you got to get, you got to monetize everything, right? That's what the culture is screaming at you. And um, that's seeped into the church very powerfully. So, yeah. Uh, The other thing is fear. I think there's a lot of fear that, drives the bible translation world unfortunately misplaced fear and just fear in general so one of those fears i think is the fear of uh we we won't have enough resources in the future god may may not provide so we got to cover our administrative costs by charging for stuff or just fear that you know somehow we'll get the short end of the stick if we give something away People will abuse it or they'll uh, not give us credit or they'll make a bunch of money from it and we won't. Um, So, yeah, that mentality, I think, is the other half of the other side of the coin. Well, let me uh, let me unpack those, because, uh, you know, uh, there's an old saying that uh, uh, just because you're paranoid, that doesn't mean that somebody's not out to get you. Right. (laughs) And, and, you know, some of that fear, which I agree um, is some some is misplaced. Some is not. I mean, there are Bible even uh, among supposedly scrupulous Christian organizations, Bible translation organizations that that will take credit for other people's work. And um, in fact, uh, I, I mean, and I don't want to be, you know, too critical here, but I can give you story after story of an organization, of, very, of more than one organization that will be raise money. And they will say, we have, you know, we're involved in 500 Bible translation projects right now. And when you actually look at what they're doing, they're, you know, giving relatively small grants to other Bible translation organizations that um, are actually boots on the ground in some of these remote places in the world. That group is probably also raising money, talking about the Bible translation that they're that they actually are working on. So my, I guess my point is is that 
that that fear is not a completely irrational fear, is it? Yeah, but at the same time, you know what I'm what I'm calling people to is the spirit of Martin Luther. You know, the reason he he knew that he was getting he was getting the short end of everything with his translation. He knew that it wasn't a big secret, but I mean, that's just part of doing, doing ministry is like, there's going to be bad actors, but if you really want the word of God to go viral, then it's got to be free of all of those hindrances. So, you know, it's, it's really about your end goal. Like Tim Jory says, like, what do you actually want to accomplish? Do you want a linear impact or do you want exponential impact? Yeah. Well, and there's also, I guess, the spiritual question as well. Who do you want to get the glory, right? Yeah, and who do you want want to trust at the end of the day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and God knows all that stuff is going on. It's not a surprise to him. And it's not like we with our feeble human laws are going to really abate all of that, the bad actors that could happen. We're not going to fix that stuff. You know, Elon Musk said this uh, in an interview. The reason he doesn't like patents is because it's like buying lottery tickets for a lawsuit. <laughs> That's all it is. Like you're just you're just giving yourself the chance of having a lawsuit and who wants that, you know? Like so you have the chance to sue somebody now that you copyright copyrighted it. Uh is that really what you want to do with your time as a ministry? Yeah. Well, let me um Take another tact here, maybe pivot a little bit in our conversation and ask you ask you this question from an, from the other side. So what would happen if uh, open sourcing were the um, preferred method of work for all Bible translation organizations? In other words, if you could just snap your fingers, you're king of the world, and you know you can change this you know this uh, culture. Uh, of protecting intellectual property and copyright and and paying, um, uh, you know, getting or getting paid for those copyrights that you own. What would be different? Would Bible translation happen faster? Would there be more innovation? Would there be more um, entrepreneurship? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we see a precedent in the secular world with what Elon Musk has done, you know, by opening his, his patents with Tesla and all of those things. Like we've seen a huge, massive boom in the increase of electric vehicles and uh, a huge boost to the economy. And then he became the most valuable company in the world. So, you know, I, there's not, nothing to lose. Um, I, I, I think we would see a huge acceleration. We'd see a huge collaboration because there wouldn't be that tension between organizations like, oh, well, we're, you know, you're going to steal my stuff or I got to pay for your stuff. And why do I have to pay for your stuff? You know? We're all doing ministry together. Uh, And then we would just see uh, the global church explode because they're enabled to use these resources with no friction, you know, and they would take ownership of these projects themselves. And this is what Unfolding Word is trying to do, right? Um, They would take ownership of these projects and we would see church-centric Bible translation happen from the grassroots up without us as the colonial West uh, imposing these kinds of restrictions on the rest of the poor church in the rest of the world, which is, I think just, it just looks bad to the, re- to the, to the rest of the world. You know, it's, it's a, it's a really a new form of colonialism where we, we hold all of the, 
the good stuff in our hands and we will just divvy it out according to our whims. And if you give us enough money and yeah. Uh, we, you mentioned unfolding word. They have been uh, one of the Bible translation organizations that has been, you know, um, an, an advocate for a leader in this idea of, of open uh, sourcing and of uh, church-based uh, Bible translation, community-based and church-based Bible translation. Who are some of the bad actors? Who, where's the resistance come? I don't want to call them bad actors necessarily, but, you know, because you said there were no bad guys, but where's the resistance coming from? And, um, and why? Is it because they're afraid that royalty revenue streams were going to dry up? Yeah, I honestly, I'm not, you know, I'm not up there in the upper echelons of, of who's pulling the strings with a lot of these big organizations. I don't go to the E10 summit. Um, what I, so, so I can't speak to that directly. Uh, to me, it, I, I just sit most days. I just sit like uh, in a daze at the incomprehensibility of, if they are presented, you know, if, if that folder is opened in your mind and you see the potential, who wouldn't want that? So, you know, just to give an example. Let's say I'm, I'm an 80-year-old Bible translation consultant, and I wrote, a, I wrote a handbook on how to translate the book of Genesis. Um, and it was a ton of work, you know, but that's my life's work is I want to help Bible translation go forward and, and make an impact. If somebody came to me and said, hey, if you release this handbook that you wrote as a Creative Commons resource, then you could, you know, do a 100x impact of, as to what it is today. You're not going to sell this book to anybody else except Bible translator because it's a handbook for Bible translation. Right, Nobody else right. is going to buy it. Not going to make the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. yeah. So what if you just release this and it could be translated openly into Spanish and Portuguese and all these other people who need it on the ground and they would rely less on consultants and uh, the consultants would be freed up to help other projects maybe. Uh, and all of that stuff would be a huge impact. Do you think that, and I'm an 80 year old guy and I'm sitting there. No, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine that would happen. But I think it's just that nobody is even, it's not on their radar. They haven't even heard this is possible. They, you know, Creative Commons is actually a recent thing. Um, you know, it's maybe 10 years old. And so a lot of people just haven't heard that this is realistic. So I, I, I want to say this too, you know, I, I think there is a lot of good stuff happening. There's movement here. I don't know if you've heard about Biblica and what they're doing with open.bible. Uh, there's traction. People are starting to catch this wave. And I think with Biblica's precedent and example, this is going to make a, a huge impact. I think other people are start, starting to, to get on board. So it's, I think it's more of a matter of time and uh, just information. Yeah. Well, just to be specific, Biblica, formerly known as the International Bible Society, owns the trans owns the copyright for the New International Version of the Bible, and and they are making the, some of the that copyrighted material now more available to anybody that wants it. Is that is that what you're saying? No, they're doing more than that. They're they're releasing tons of their premium Bible translations 
uh, in all kinds of languages as Creative Commons and, on Open.Bible. And they're uh, working on getting more. So basically, they're buying out people that they had done contracts with so that they can release their content, Creative Commons. And they're even trying to do that with the NIV. The NIV got tangled up in a web of contracts and copyrights. So they haven't been able to release that yet, but that's their desire. And they're slowly trying to buy out all the people involved so they can do that, which is great. Yeah. And you should talk to Bob Wood about this if you haven't. Yeah. He's the guy with Biblica behind all of that. So, uh, again, you know, kind of fast forward uh, five or ten years, uh, Creative Commons becomes and, – and that is the me- – is that primarily, uh, a- Andrew, the mechanism that you are proposing that people that are in the Bible translation industry – Creative Commons already exists. It's being used in a secular um, – you know, uh, uh, content creators in a secular environment are already using Creative Commons. We we use Creative Commons for all kinds of stuff here at Ministry Watch for photos and other material. That that's the mechanism. We don't have to reinvent this. We can use that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's a perfect mechanism already established. And yeah, I, I, I will say that, you know, speaking globally, uh, I just learned this recently that Creative Commons does not take into account all the laws, you know, across the world. So there are different terms for the same kind of idea in Europe and other countries. And what you're suggesting is that if if more content creators, translators, once they or, or people that are writing guidebooks for translation or principles for translation, put all of this stuff up on Creative Commons, uh, it will accelerate entrepreneurship. And mu- you, you mentioned Elon Musk as an example, but Linux software, for example, it's an open software system. Wikipedia that we're all used to using is kind of it's not it's not exactly um, the, the, what you're talking about, but it's an it's an open system that people can go into. I mean, that's there, there are some standards. There are some guides, uh, though, with Wikipedia. So talk to me a little bit about how the, uh, the, so let's imagine fast forward, you know, a month or a year or a decade, and there's lots and lots and lots of this Bible translation content, uh, on creative commons available to all. How do you maintain quality control? Yeah. Um, the, the quality control to me isn't that big of a, a problem at this point because we already have a lot of quality products that are already produced, right? So we're not crowdsourcing these projects. I think that's more of the concern when you crowdsource stuff, which is kind of a, a, a different issue. Well, it is a different issue, but but you know it it could become an issue pretty quickly. In other words, if you start making this stuff available, people could take it and do what they want with it, right? Yeah, but the the thing with Creative Commons is that it's not like it doesn't have a license. It is a license, right? So according to the license, you have to give attribution and you have to basically acknowledge like who is the the source. So people, if they want to know what the source and they want to get that quality control, um, they can go, you know, say this is published by Biblica. They can go to Biblica and get the original. They don't have to be beholden to whatever spinoff of that translation somebody else did. They can go to the original. So if they don't like that, they can, they can always, the attribution policy is always there in Creative Commons. Yeah. Well, let me back up to a question that I asked you a few minutes ago, and we talked around it a little bit. But, um, okay, so you've got Biblica um, doing this 
this amazing project and uh but you've got other copyright holders that are not and um what biblica i'm sure at least in the short term probably is going to take a financial hit for what they're doing i mean they're going to lose uh licensing revenue at least in the short term now they might make that up with donor revenue because donors see what they're doing, like what they're doing, support what they're doing. And we can only hope and pray that that's, you know, what happens in the long run, that 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 support will more than make up for any lost revenue. But you've got other organizations that may not be as altruistic or as magnanimous as that. Um, Is that accurate or not? I don't think they're going to lose money, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think they I heard from somebody that they did the math at Biblica and they were paying more for staff to handle the licensing and legal issues that they created for themselves by copywriting everything under all rights reserved. They were they were having to deal with so much of that permissions and paying staff to to deal with all these licensing issues uh, than they were actually making from all of that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of these people are living in a fantasy world that they think that their handbook on translation or whatever is, is going to make a significant amount of money. It's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most of these resources that they're creating are not, their translations are not going to make, you know, the NIV, sure, that's the, that's the one cash cow. Um, but otherwise, you know, the, the thing is, the way the world is moving, donors are smart. They want to give where their buck is going to go exponential. And if they see that people are giving their stuff away under Creative Commons and it has the exponential potential, they're going to give, you know, everyone who does that is positioning themselves to get the most donors and the most generosity. And at the end of the day, I think God will bless it. You know, that kind of spirit, God will bless. Well, I hear you loud and clear, Andrew. I mean, here at Ministry Watch, for example, that's our philosophy. We put, we don't have a paywall. We don't accept advertising on our website. Everything is free, um, and, and so you know we um, uh, and we freely let people reprint. We do ask for attribution. We have not put our content on Creative Commons, which is something that I, I probably will now start considering <laughs> if I can. I, I don't, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, so I get it loud and clear. I do understand, though, that it is a relatively new phenomenon, this this idea of open sourcing. I mean, when I think back to, say, for example, Linux software, Red Hat Ventures, that kind of, uh, you know, you know, that was probably a 90s era phenomenon. And that was kind of the, um, the beginning of the open source world uh, in, you know, in information technology. And then, you, of course, you mentioned Tesla uh, a few moments ago, and even and that's even more recent than the 90s. Um, so l- let me, again, Andrew Case, you're king of the world. Um, you know, you can't wave your wand, for example, and, and change the world instantaneously to the, you know, desired future that you want now, we'll say. But you can take the next step. What would those next steps be? Would it be for all the Bible translation organizations to put their stuff on on Creative Commons, would it be to stop charging licensing fees? What 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 would be the first 
you know, the next one or two or three sort of essential steps that would take us into that desired future that you have in mind? So I would divert donor resources to creating training materials that are free and open source uh, creative commons for the whole global church to have access to without friction. So that means like all the, all the, the whole suite, the whole suite of, of training that we offer people before they get involved in translation, which is a ton of stuff, right? We got to get them linguistics. We've got to get them translation principles. We've got to get them the biblical languages, right? And so my wife and I, you've seen our, our stuff. We're doing that part. We're doing the Hebrew part. You know, that's our, our grain of sand that we're offering to the, the whole thing. But, you know, these translate these translation organizations have people who are experts in every single element of the Bible translation process, and they've been teaching it for years. What I've been trying to get people like Wycliffe to do is, hey, get these people instead of instead of flying them across the world to do a workshop for five people, and you you burn through two weeks of human hours. Get them in a studio, and do a solid, like beautiful masterclass with them video. And just put it on YouTube, put it everywhere. And just, you know, people who are not even interested in Bible translation in Afghanistan and Indonesia or whoever can learn about these things and get on board and and get the education that they need instead of having to wait for somebody to fly something over and all of that. So get all of your, your content in a premium form online. It's not that expensive these days to do that. Yeah. And then the next step is uh, take... Uh, and, the tr- and release the training ter- materials you already have in written form. You know, there's so many great handbooks that these organizations have produced and then they're charging money for them. You can't translate them for free, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm dealing with that all the time as a consultant because I want the mother tongue translators that I'm working with in their villages to be able to read this stuff in Spanish and they can't and I'm not allowed to translate it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a bummer. So wait a minute. Let, back, let me stop. Pause you there. So you were Spanish is sort of the common language for you guys. Is that what you're saying? But you're trying to translate it into maybe a dialect or a, or a language that, that's you know maybe only spoken in a you know in one part of Mexico, and you can't get a Spanish language translation that you can then translate into another language. That, that is that what you're telling me? I'm talking about like the the helps. You know. Like, for instance, that handbook, so UBS, it'll just give you a concrete example. United Bible Societies has produced brilliant handbooks on every single book of the Bible to guide translators through step-by-step, has all the commentary, has all the text-critical issues there. Uh, It's great for consultants, but it's only in English. Um, What I want to do is I want to give that to my translators so they can work through these issues on their own. and not rely so much on me because 90% of the time I'm just actually translating that information to them because somebody's already done the hard work of looking into these harder passages and all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. So um, it's all rights reserved by UBS. I'm not allowed to translate that into Spanish for those translators to who are Got translated it. into Got their, it. into their dialect. So make those training materials, those aids, those translation aids available, just, just take the copyright off of it, take the protection off of it. And these, and folks will like, maybe you, maybe somebody else will translate that into Spanish and on your own and just get it out there and, and, and hundreds of other languages as well. Right. Immediately. Okay. 
And you and UBS's resistance to that is that they are currently able to sell those documents, and that's why they'll they'll lose a revenue stream. You don't know why. I, I tried talking to somebody about this um, at Biblica, and uh, yeah, they, they said it would basically just be a lot of political moving around and talking to people. I I really don't know. Yeah. Now, I heard uh, this, Andrew, uh, Andrew, as well, and I want to know if you can confirm this, that there are certain Hebrew translations of the Bible and Greek translations of the Bible, I mean, like the, you know, the original Hebrew and the original Greek, that are copyright protected as well, that you can't even, if you wanted to translate into, you know, just ABC language, and you wanted to go back to the original Hebrew, the original Greek, you would have to purchase the right to do that. Is that correct? Um, no, I don't think you have to purchase the right to translate from a particular version of the Greek and Hebrew. I maybe, I don't know. I, I, I haven't heard anybody talking about that. Um, but reprinting it and reusing some of those, uh, yeah, can be an issue. But thankfully, there are some, uh, like the Leningrad Codex of, of, uh, that's been transcribed and everything, that is open for people to use and stuff like that. But okay. I think when you get into the Greek, that's when it becomes a little more dicey. Okay. Because, right. you know, that's a, an, an eclectic text that we use. I don't know how much you know about, you know, manuscripts and stuff, but it is frustrating. The thing that frustrates me the most is uh, how people copyright ancient manuscripts. Yeah. Well, I think that was my point, that that's what's happening, right? That they are copywriting ancient manuscripts and you can't use them. Yeah, but those are mostly done by other institutions, you know, like the Vatican and other people who actually own those manuscripts and they won't release the images of those for free to people. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, Andrew, this is kind of a, uh, I appreciate you educating me and, uh, you know, by translation, so to speak, <laughs> my readers and uh, listeners. So, uh, but is there any other like big issue that I'm just not smart enough to ask you about that you wanted to make sure we talked about today? Well, I would just say to follow up on all of this, it would be a shame if we let the secular world outpace us in generosity. But that's what I see is happening. Um, for instance, uh, secular nations like Switzerland are now requiring all grant-funded academic research to be published as open access. And I think it would be tragic if the church, especially the church is focused on Bible translation, would be hindered by being less generous than, than the rest of the world. Um, yeah. And, and I think the world will see that and they'll think it's insane. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good word to close on. Andrew, thank you so much for being uh, with me today. I really appreciate it very much. Yeah. I appreciate what you're doing. That brings to a close my interview with Andrew Case. To find out more about his work, you can 
Find this podcast, Working for the Word, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can also hit his website. That's hismagnificence.com, where you'll find all kinds of really pretty cool stuff that Andrew has created. And they include kids' books, music, and just a whole lot more. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sutter. I'm your host, Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.